0: Life is a journey and what you are at one point in your life is not necessarily and what you're doing at one point in your life is not necessarily what you will be doing later and that you should never sort of pigeonhole yourself because of because of the way that you are at one time. Things can always change, you can always evolve.
1: to the Girl Tries Life podcast where we give you tangible, actionable tips to live your best life. How do we do this? I interview women who are doing fascinating things in all areas of their lives. We're talking about how to run an awesome business, how to do work-life balance, how to decrease the overwhelm in your life, how to get your health on track. We cover all these topics with our interviewees. Now, today we are joined by Leah Girard-Cole. Now, Leah is the co-founder of Love Child Organics, a company that makes all kinds of organic baby foods within Canada. Now, they also work in in North America, but if you have been into a Walmart, a shopper's drug mart, superstore, Safeway, you name it, and you're a mom or a parent, you will have seen their food. You may even have it in your diaper bag as you speak. But I talked to Leah about how they grew this from an idea, from the need from her and her husband to start their own business into one of the biggest Canadian brands. We talk about their experience on Dragon's Den and how they put that pitch together, how they basically propelled their brand from one that was a little less known to a brand that most parents will have heard of, very trusted, very nutritious food for your kids. We talk about entrepreneurship. We also talk about her recently released cookbook, It All Begins With Food. So that kind of shows parents how to do this at home. So you don't just have to go for I mean, the fantastic pouches and cereals and all that kind of stuff that they have, but how you can make food at home that appeals to your kids, your toddlers, your babies, and something that parents want to eat as well. Now, I have made some of these recipes. I absolutely adored them, and I look forward to introducing some more of this into my family life. But Leah has some fantastic advice to offer to entrepreneurs. And we also talk about the best life lesson that she's ever learned and a book that completely rocked her world. So it's a fantastic interview. I think you'll get a lot out of it. And whether you're starting a business, whether it's a service organization or it's a retail product, I think you'll really get a lot out of the advice that Leah has to offer. So without further ado, let's head over to the interview. So thank you so much, Leah, for joining the podcast. We're really excited to have you. Thank you very much for having me. So before the days of Love Child Organics, you you said you have a background in teaching and your husband <laughs> had has a background in business. But sort of for, with those two different aspects, what kind of took you guys from going, hey, this is an interesting idea of sort of like making like organic food to we should actually do this? What was that transition?
0: Well, part of it was that we did have a big change in our lives at that time. We moved from the UK, my husband's English, and i have been living there with him for a number of years. And we moved back to Canada, where I'm from, so we had to, you know, decide what we were going to do. He had actually been in banking and I'd been a teacher. And when we got here, you know, he quickly realized he wasn't going to be able to do what he used to do. And I was going to have to go on the on the teacher on call list, which wasn't really what I wanted to do. And we'd also had a baby. So we, you know, we talked a little bit about starting a business, but it suddenly became more of a necessity. We we needed to find a way to make a living for our family. So once we sort of discovered something we were interested in, we decided it was it was time to just go ahead and do it. And we knew that we were a good fit in terms of our skills. You know, I'm more sort of creative and values driven, and he has a finance background. So it we just fit together really well.
1: But I mean, banking is so different to like a retail product, right? Like, so did you have to do a lot of research? Did you have to find mentors in the field? Like how, what did you do to boost your comfort level? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I don't think we had a comfort level for a long time. Yeah. Um, we we did a lot of research. It took about eighteen months to launch our first set of products, and yeah, it was just it was just a ton of of, of research, and then just going for it. Really, I mean, we didn't we didn't. Know what we were doing in terms of understanding retail. Um, that was definitely a really, really big learning curve. The food part was easy. We could make a really clean product. We found some. We found a co-packer to work with us, and that part was okay. But it was um, understanding how you know big mass stores work and listing fees and all those different things that I had no idea about, you know, regulations, getting organic certification, all those things, those were a huge learning curve. And so you
1: had a child shortly before this all started. So mm-hmm. new family, what did your days look like? Like how many, how many hours were you guys putting in?
0: Quite a lot, I mean, to be fair, my husband really did a lot more of the work at the very beginning when I still had a small baby. And then once we launched, I jumped in um, full time at that point and that point when we launched we had two children so my daughter was three at that point and my son was eight months old and w- we jumped in luckily we you know childcare wise we decided to get a nanny at that point because it was just impossible otherwise and we started with a just a office in our spare room and then we quickly moved to a little 400 square foot office just down the road you know we would we'd get up nanny would come in early and off, off we would go to our to our little tiny um very ugly office about Five minutes away, and we worked together all day, and then and then we would come home. But it, you know, it worked well because we were living in Whistler at the time. It's a small community; it wasn't a big commute. I could, you know, nip home for lunch if I wanted to see the kids. So, and I had that flexibility because it was my own business. So if I needed to go see the kids, I could. So it, it worked really well. How did you guys work together? Was it uh, <laughs> did you have challenges? Did it did it carry over into home life? Yeah, I mean, we definitely we definitely had challenges. I mean, when somebody, it's really hard if somebody at work does something that you don't like, or you disagree with them to completely forget about it later in the day. Um, So that, that was difficult at times, but that said, we've had so many people say to us we can't believe how well you guys work together because we, we do and I think it's because we have very different skills so I really trust what he knows and understands and he's really trusts what I know and understand and we complement each other really well in that way but you know I certainly think it's been a challenge more in terms of your your marriage ends up coming second the business is first and you end up talking about the business all the time you know right until you fall asleep that's what you end up speaking about that and the kids and so I would say in terms of like you know the marriage side that part of it was difficult but in a lot of ways it brought us I think it's brought us much closer as well I have a new appreciation for his abilities and I think he does for mine too and you know, getting to know that side of him is very nice because we often don't really get to ever know our spouse at work. We don't really understand what they're like there, and I ha- now have a complete understanding. And he doesn't mean and and that's been really nice.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, you're right. You don't see that side of your spouse mm-hmm. for the most part. So it's um, yeah, that shared admiration and trust in what they do. That's got to be incredible. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, so the dra- so Dragon's Den. Um, why mm-hmm. did you guys choose to go on the Den? Was it was it for
0: the money? Was it for awareness? Was it both? It was both. We did need an investment at the time. Um, we could have gone other places to get one but we did need some money and then also this was a brand that we you know we knew very early on that we wanted this to be a national brand we never intended it for it to be small at all and so we thought doing dragon's den was a great way to get some publicity quite quickly that would be national really i think that was kind of the driving force behind it the fact that we ended up doing a deal was wonderful but we certainly didn't absolutely need that to happen or have that expectation when we went on the show
1: And sort of how did you prepare for that pitch? Like, did you test it with anyone?
0: We didn't test it with anyone except for ourselves, but we wrote out a script and we practiced it, the two of us, you know, in our living room many, many times. And you do work with a producer on the show who gives you some tips on your pitch. And, you know, they tell you that that you need to have some sort of gimmick when you come on, which is why we had bibs and uh, with Love Child on them that the dragons wore. And we had a cart full of produce. That was kind of, you know, more their idea. But... Yeah, I mean, we just we just sort of practiced it between the two of us, actually. Maybe we should have had somebody else listen to it, but I don't think we did. Well, I mean, you did fine, so I don't think we <laughs>
1: necessarily... Did you worry at all? I went back and I watched it. Did you worry at all that they wouldn't like the flavor of it? Because everyone's tastes are different.
0: You know, I didn't actually worry about it that much. I had a lot of confidence that they tasted really good. Yeah. That's something about our products that I'm really proud of, is that the flavor that the flavor is good. And I did, I mean, I did also, I think at the time, I can't remember, but I chose quite carefully who I gave which flavors to. (laughs) So I think I gave a more difficult flavor to somebody that I thought would be more difficult. Yeah. And so, no, not really. And luckily they were all very nice about it.
1: So in the due diligence process, like, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but it was the largest deal that had ever been done I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if that holds I don't think it is
0: anymore but it was at the time yes it was the largest deal ever in Canadian Dragon's Den history which
1: is nuts but and in that due diligence process part of what made it the biggest deal is that you guys had landed Walmart U.S. so for someone that's wanting to go into the retail space like what was all involved in getting it into Walmart like how do you approach a giant like that
0: Okay, well, I mean, at first, when we first went onto Dragon's Den, we we were in Walmart Canada, and how we approached them was we just, we wrote an email, honestly. We wrote an email with pictures of the product, and, you know, we knew that pouch baby food was was big in other countries, especially organic pouch baby food, and so we knew that it was something that would, would do well here if they would accept it, and interestingly enough, they did right back. So, you know, I think... Anybody can approach a big retailer, but you have to be able to have proof that you can provide an adequate supply to them, because that's the biggest thing for them. You have to be able to prove that you can do that, and you also have to be able to prove that there's a there's a market for it. So all that was kind of in the email. And then, basically, my husband, John, and our salesperson at the time went together and, and spoke to them, got a meeting, and spoke to them, and it, and it happened. As far as Walmart U.S., I mean, that said, we are not in Walmart U.S. anymore. That actually didn't work out. But we... Basically, that happened through Walmart Canada. Because of Walmart Canada, Walmart US became interested, and we were able to get our products down there.
1: And you're in Shoppers Drug Mart as well across the country. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can't go into a store and not see Love Child, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, I know it is amazing. We're pretty much in almost, I would say, all mass retailers across the country, with the exception of Quebec. We're still kind of working on our distribution there, but otherwise, we're pretty much we're pretty much everywhere, which is you know kind of amazing and exciting but that is like i said that was our that was our goal from the beginning that's where we wanted to be yeah
1: well as someone that has recently gone through a birth and babies class i have to say that all the birth and babies moms we've got your pouches in our bags for for outings for the day so it's um that's good i mean you've you've definitely <laughs> You're part of our culture now,
0: so that's good. I mean, that's that's something that we wanted. We didn't want it to just be a product. We wanted it to be a brand that parents, um, especially moms, could really relate to and and understand. And so, you know, from the beginning, we always wanted the brand to have a real sort of human emotive side to it and I think that's why people do connect to it and why we do have you know a lot of loyalty for our brand
1: and so what was uh, when did you guys decide to expand from pouches because you now make like biscuits and cereals Mm -hmm. and
0: yeah I'm trying to think how long after we started I think we brought out our first snack products about a year and a half in I mean we knew that um, retailers would be more interested in us if we had a full array of products that they could choose from that um, fit all their needs. So they, you know, they want cereals, they want baby cookies, they want snacks, they want um, they want everything. And so we just tried to do that as quickly as we could. And I think that's one of the other reasons it was successful is because we we made innovation a, a top priority and we tried to put out new products every six months. And we still continue to do that. We've done that from the beginning. New products every six months.
1: That's exciting. So
0: what's next? hmm <laughs> what's, what's next? What, what are we allowed to know that's next <laughs> <laughs> we actually i could probably tell you about this we right now we have um, a snack product called our love ducks and they're extremely popular um, everybody loves them and so we're bringing out a couple more flavors of those in um, september october and then we also have a couple more flavors of our od chomps which are um, one of our bars that are the most popular and then in the spring, we're definitely going to be um, looking at more at more, more pouches, and we have a whole bunch of product, product innovation as well planned out really over the next three years. So you can expect to keep seeing more and more from Love Child every season.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. So the brand has recently, well, I guess a couple of years ago, been acquired. So what was that process? Uh, were you guys looking for someone to acquire you?
0: Did they come to you? So this all happened. We were acquired in October 2015 by um, a company called Greenspace Brands, and it's a public company out of Toronto. As you can see, I'm still at Love Child. I still run the brand. So that process was... We were basically thinking about looking for investment originally, um, and then we ended up speaking to not Greenspace brands, but actually a couple of other companies that wanted to actually purchase us. And I think that got the conversation started at the time. And we never really imagined that we would sell that early. But to be honest, the first three years of the business, they were good, but they were the most stressful time of our lives. And we were under huge financial strain personally, you know, we had put every bit of money that we that we had into the business. We remortgaged, and it was it was hard. It was really, really difficult and very scary. And so although we never intended to sell that early, when the option came up, we decided that for us, for this being our first business, selling at that point was was the right thing. And yeah, Green Space brands did approach. They did approach us. And we were, yeah, we were able to, to come to an agreement with them, with them that we were all happy with and, and I'm, still, I'm, I'm still there, so.
1: Oh, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So backing up a bit in terms of your love of organic food, is that something that has, you know, has been with you since you were growing up or did this develop over time?
0: Um, you know, my, my parents, my mom in particular, she definitely gave us all real whole ingredients. I don't recall whether or not they were organic. You know it was um but she definitely always cooked from scratch and that was important to her and we didn't eat very much processed food growing up i think the organic obsession i would call it because i am pretty obsessed it started for me a bit before i started having children i would say probably about 10 years ago and then once i had children it became something i was very very interested in and of course then starting this brand has become something that's really just a part of my life that i really believe in and and um so it's just progressed progressed from there
1: yeah and did you have any sort of like nutritional training for, like, did you bolster that in order to launch Love Child or no?
0: No, I didn't. I kind of always felt like maybe I should, but I, I just learned as I went, went along. And to be honest, that's been the best sort of education I could possibly have um, been able to get, I think. And so, you know, I'm the sort of person that's um, very good at sort of learning and researching when I need to. And so I really just, just, did, it, just did it that way.
1: Yeah. So, I kind of first learned about y- you as an individual when I picked up your cookbook recently, because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew about the brand and I, I think I had remembered seeing you guys on Dragon's Den. And then I picked up this cookbook, and it really is—it's almost like a love letter to healthy eating for children and really involving them in the food. Like, it's not mm-hmm. just the recipes, and the recipes are fabulous, and they're—they're they're food that I, you know, I just want to throw this out there for the listeners. This is food that. I, as a parent, enjoy as well as my son enjoys, which Mm -hmm. can be really difficult to find in kids' cookbooks. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's often stuff that you, you as the parent are like, nope, we will eat separate meals. And I don't, as a mother, want to do that. So (laughs) what, how long was this process of developing the cookbook, like start to finish?
0: I think it was probably start to finish, like from the time that it was first mentioned to me, it was probably about two years. Um, I would say that the actual writing of it myself took a year, and then it takes about a year for the the publisher to actually get it get it printed, edited, and printed, and all uh, and and so all that side of things. So yeah, it's about a two year process.
1: And I think a lot of people go on whether it's Pinterest or or other cookbooks and look at a recipe and goes, Oh, that just looks amazing, must have been easy to make. How long does it take you to test
0: a recipe? You know, some recipes came together in like one or two tries, but most of them did not. They were sort of around ten tries, I would say. Some I got up to probably fifteen. Because I'm a home cook and I'm you know, I'm not a trained chef, I was really nervous about it and I just I wanted them to be so perfect so I probably over tested to be <laughs> to be honest I just yeah I, I just felt like they had to be really good also because you know there were people were going to buy this book and they were going to have new new families and they were going to probably be on some sort of a budget because of that and I just felt like they had to be good so I tested and tested and tested
1: yeah what are your favorite recipes from the book if
0: you had to pick like
1: two or oh, three oh gosh
0: uh, in terms of like fun, I really like that frozen chocolate bark, that's quite fun, the, uh, the, the superfood um taco recipe is something that I literally make once a week. We eat that all the time. I like a lot of the smoothies. In terms of um, the baby food in the book, the, the one that has the beets, the sweet potatoes, the apples and the quinoa is one of my favorites because it's something that I actually fed to my son Cam and then it became a love child product. Oh, that's nice. so. So I like that one. It has a lot of sort of nostalgia for me. There's a a muffin recipe in there that has sweet potatoes and blueberries in it, and that's another one that I made for my for my own children for a long time before it, it went in the book. It wasn't sort of a recipe I came up with for the book, so I probably really like that one too.
1: And you actually have a ton of recipe um, instruction videos on YouTube that I think
0: more more people need to know about. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we have like the Love Child YouTube. And yeah, we do have some recipes, mostly for purees as well as finger foods for toddlers. So yeah, there's a few on there that people can go and check out.
1: There were some gingerbread mini muffins that I am convinced I need to make (laughs) this fall. It's gonna happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, those are really, oh, those were really good. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: the cookbook, was that, were you approached with this as an opportunity? Or is it something that you've always wanted to do?
0: I mean, I think I had maybe in the back of my head somewhere a little fantasy about having a cookbook because I've always cooked and really, really loved it. But it's certainly never something that was a goal or that I thought would actually happen. So I ended up at a dinner one night with, um, because of Love Child, and I was seated beside the president of Random House Canada. And so she and I just got talking. We got talking about food. We never talked about a cookbook at all, but we talked a lot about food, and I must have talked a lot about food. <laughs> and then she ended up emailing me a few days later and saying, "Oh, I think you should, you know, I think you should meet up with Robert who heads up our cookbook section. He's out in, you know, he's out in Vancouver near you. You should meet up with him for a glass of wine. You guys would get along great." And I Thought well, that's nice, but I don't really have time to meet up with him for a glass of wine, and I never did anything about it. And then she wrote me about two months later and said, "I don't think I made myself clear. I think maybe you and Robert should meet up to talk about a cookbook." And so I was like, "Oh, okay." So off I went, and I met up with him, and he, you know, said that they were looking for um, a baby food book, and I told him that, you know, I'd be interested in writing something that was bigger than that because I felt that baby food was such a short time, and I wanted, if I was going to write a book, I wanted something that had more longevity and he said okay but you need to write a proposal so i wrote they they give you some instructions on how to write a proposal it's about 45 pages long and you write out you know you give some examples of recipes and you talk about you know what you want your book to really be about the tone that you want in your book etc and you you kind of lay it all out like this really detailed outline so i sent that off to him and then it went to their panel at random house and then they made me made me an offer to write it so that's kind of how it all went down
1: yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that it wasn't just about baby foods because, as a mom of a 19 month old baby, like the, <laughs> I actually find that the year from one year to now is some of the most difficult times because they just are <laughs> so picky about what they will or will not eat. And I know, um, you know, baby food was almost not that challenging they just mm-hmm. open their mouth and took the spoon
0: <laughs> yes I know and at that time you start getting really smug you're like you know what? my baby eats anything and then you hit the toddler stage and you and you realize that actually it didn't really mean anything they they completely change once they get some free will
1: oh yeah and they throw it on the floor and just yeah oh, it kills you kills you
0: inside. yeah I know especially when you bought all this organic expensive food it's like actually quite painful. Which is where
1: it's actually handy, though, that it's tasty for adults, right? Because you don't feel like it's entirely wasted. if they Totally. Yeah. 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 So you actually also include some really great tips on how to get your kids to eat healthier and be more adventurous. One of them that you talked about, which I really want to dig into, is that don't cook them something different. Mm -hmm. Now, I think a lot of parents will find, especially at dinner time, like lunch breakfast probably a different matter but if they're not eating their food you just want them to eat something so that they're not going to bed hungry or waking up in the middle of the night like how do you stay strong
0: (laughs) well first of all I would like to say I don't think that parents should always have to eat a full meal with their children every single night so I didn't do that I had some nights where I would just feed them and I had some nights where we'd all eat dinner together it depended on what was happening so first of all I also think it's probably not every night that you have to do that but but then I think one of the biggest things is Put food on the table that you, that you know that they will like to a certain extent. So say, for example, if you were trying like a curry recipe and you're thinking they're really not going to eat this, but we're going to give it a try. Put it with something like some rice or something like that that you know they're going to eat. So at least there's stuff on the table that's going to get some, you know, some calories into them so that you can feel a little better that they've had something. If you put stuff food on the table and there really is every single thing on the table is new and there's no options for them that they can really relate to or that they're interested in, then it, then that's really difficult. So I would say try to always have something on the table that you know they'll eat. But, but then also, you know, I don't – I try to cook food that I think my children will like. You know, I don't put things out there that I think have no chance. So that's the other thing. And once they get a little bit older, you know, you can talk to them too about what should we have for dinner this week and you can get them in on that planning so that – they've had a bit of a say and I think that makes it much more likely as well and in terms of like if they don't eat it is really really hard but I think the best thing is you know you really can't get up and just go and start cooking them a grilled cheese because they won't eat the stew. You, you, you just, I just really think that's not a good idea because then you get into that pattern of doing that and they know that you that you will. But what you can perhaps do is you can set up a system in your house where there always is a bedtime snack. It's a very healthy bedtime snack, but it's a little bit away from dinner and so you don't feel like you've really given in because that's kind of part of your routine and you haven't actually cooked something else for dinner. So you can save face a little bit and still get something into them before they go to bed.
1: That is good to hear.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, and you
1: involve your kids in cooking on a regular basis, is that right?
0: Yeah, I do. They really, they really love it. And, you know, especially with writing the cookbook, they were very interested in, in what I was doing and my daughter in particular loved, loves to cook. So yeah, it's definitely something that we do. We do together a lot and it's interesting to see how they've developed an interest in it because I have an interest in it.
1: Yeah. How old are they now? Five and Seven. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. And so Mm. I can't remember actually this part of the book Were there was there a section on like school lunches?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We talk a lot about yeah in the lunch section. There's a whole yeah, there's a whole section on ideas for school lunches and pack lunches and things.
1: Oh, great. Yeah. In my head, I think I was just I'm in the 19 month stage that is down the road. But that'll be so helpful for parents because you just don't want to always do the, you know, the sandwich and the whatever you want to make things kind of interesting. Right.
0: Yeah, make them interesting, but at the same time, not make it too difficult for yourself either. No, yeah,
1: no, yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be a second cookbook down the line, or?
0: I just don't know yet. Um yeah. We'll we'll see. I would love to. I I would love to. It, on the other hand, though, I don't really know what it would be about. The thing about this book, it was kind of like the a sort of bible for everything. So yeah. Um, in terms of a concept for the book, I'd still have to think about what it would be. But yeah, I I really enjoyed writing it, and I it's something that's um. It's been an incredible life experience, so I'd certainly consider it.
1: You must get approached by entrepreneurs all the time, sort of looking for your top advice. What's your What's your advice for starting, whether it's a product or a service or just starting your own business?
0: I would say, make sure that you can see a path to profit within a few years. Because if you can't, then it really is more of a hobby. and ultimately, if that's what you want it to be, that's fine. But if you want to be able to make money for your family, then you have to be able to see how it will make money. And you have to have a business plan that allows you to truly see that. So I would say to really look at that before you start a business, because, you know, a small, a small business that doesn't make much money can be just as much work as a bigger business that does. And so I think choosing, you know, the right, the right product, the right business, making sure there's a market for it, making sure that it can be profitable is, is really key. And I would also say, you know, with us, we decided that we wanted it to be a big business right from the beginning. And that's not for everybody. Some people want a small business and that really, really works for them. But if you, you know, if you ever are thinking to yourself, oh, you know, I I wish this could be something that could go national or whatever, I would try to think of it that way from the beginning, because I think the things that you will, the choices you'll make will will be different if you always have a goal that it's going to be bigger. And that really worked for us.
1: So what kind of decisions did you make differently then like in term I mean you approached bigger brands mm-hmm. from the get go? What like what else was different about it?
0: I think we really thought about the branding right from the beginning. You know, we didn't sort of learn how to do graphic design ourselves and slap it slap a logo together. We made the branding key right from the beginning. We got an agency involved. We decided that, you know, we were going to invest our own money in doing that and I think that has paid off so much because, you know, we actually we're going to call the business a totally different name. The branding agency helped us change it. It was going to be called Hungry Pumpkin. And I think it would not be what it is today. The name was, you know, such a big part of Love Child. And the look and the feel of the packaging was was so big as well. And so I think, you know, the fact that we invested in branding right from the beginning was really, really important. And the other thing that we did is we we thought really hard about what the brand was what the values were what the mission was you know what we were going to do that was different we didn't think of it just as products we we really wanted the brand to be sort of being a living breathing thing right from the right from the beginning and i feel like that's really helped us along the way and as i've seen sort of other sort of smaller brands that sometimes are struggling i think part of it was they didn't really set the foundation to know what their brand was before they started. And so when you do that, you have to really back up and rethink and and change things at a time when it's quite stressful to do so because you're already in stores, et cetera. And it's, it's just more difficult. And I think doing all that from the beginning really pays off. I am
1: such a fan of that. So I work in the nonprofit sector and I really believe that whether it's um, a for-profit organization, nonprofit, knowing your mission, vision, values, and being able to come back to that in those tough moments. Yes. It is so critical. And so many people just see it as an exercise of, you know, this is what we're going to put on our website to look nice, as opposed to these are truly our core values. And this is how we will run our business or our organization and what we will come back to. There are the cornerstones. Mm-hmm. So I'm so Definitely. glad to hear that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. So switching gears a little bit, So you've got two kids. They are seven and five. So say that everything was wiped away. If you could only teach them three (laughs) lessons that they could carry on forever, what would those three things be?
0: Gosh, I would think um, life is a journey and what you are at one point in your life is not necessarily what you're doing at one point in your life is not necessarily what you will be doing later and that you should never sort of pigeonhole yourself because of because of the way that you are at one time. Things can always change, you can always evolve. So that's something I would say. I would also say, and I know this is uh, something that's said often as a cliche, but it's something I've taken a really long time to learn myself, and I think it's that, you know, finding joy in just those little moments in your life is so important, it's not, it isn't the destination. It's really not about that. It's about enjoying moments along the way. So I would say that. And then I would also say that they, you know, just believing in themselves, not that they can say, you know, I'm not saying everybody can can do everything, but you can, if you decide you want to do something, you can learn, you can pretty much learn how to do it. And not to be sort of limited, limited by sort of their experience so far, they can figure something out and they can do what they want to do, just like we did with Love Child.
1: And it's so great that they've got you guys as live-in mentors for that. That's fantastic. And we say this on the podcast a lot, that whatever you want to achieve, it comes down to that action and whether it's learning something or trying something different. Mm -hmm. So no, it's great to hear. That was kind of our main interview. So we're going to move into the five questions that I ask all of our interviewees. Okay. So Leah, what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up in a good
0: way? I would say businesses that make a social impact get me fired up. I really, with Love Child, we you know we donate one cent for every product we sell to nonprofits that uh, support children in need. And it's just been the best thing. It really hasn't, you know, people worry, oh, with businesses that you're going to, you know, give away too much money or whatever, but it, it all works out in the end. And it's just, it's so incredible to feel like with your business that you are able to make a positive change in people's lives. And if there was something I could do to convince every business to do it, it, i would i just i think it's the way forward with business and i and and i i'm so yeah i'm so passionate about 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 that yeah. side of business
1: it blows my mind that most more businesses don't i actually used to be a community investment professional for a for-profit organization so i i, I manage that arm of things but i don't understand why more organizations don't see it as a as a key part of being part of our Mm -hmm. community and part of Mm -hmm. our society. So I really love that you guys do that because it was, I'm forgetting the name now, but it's the first read first.
0: Well, we actually um, first book Canada we've been working with for the last three years, but we've now actually, we still are working with first book and we've added three other nonprofits as well. So we're working with four. So we work with playground builders. They um, build, Play, they're based out of Whistler, but they build playgrounds in war-torn countries, and and that's really incredible. You know, you see sort of this blank space at a school in Afghanistan that has nothing, and within two weeks they turn it into an incredible playground using using people um, from there and equipment from there to to create this playground. And so it also creates jobs and it helps community, et cetera. So we just love them. So working with them as well, and then we're working with um, Sick Kids Foundation out of Toronto because we want to support children's health. Um, And then also in Vancouver, Baby Go Round. So that is a nonprofit that provides items that people need, like um, strollers and, and, you know, baby bottles and all those sort of things that young families need. And they provide them to different agencies all across B.C.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. And it's funny because I think a lot of individuals assume that a lot of like children's organizations that a lot of the funding comes from the government and it really truly doesn't. No, no. you know, I, I dealt with postpartum depression and had to work with an organization that dealt with counseling and stuff for that. And it just assumed mm-hmm. it was government funded and the majority of it wasn't. So it's I, I think the more people get exposed to this and understand that we all have a role to play in it, the, the better. So I love that that's what you get fired up about. That's mm-hmm, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is one of the most inspiring books that you've read in the past few years?
0: Well, I'm a bit of like I, – <laughs> I read a ton of novels. I'm not going to say one of those because they don't really get me inspired. But I, um, we I love novels I as well. I can't start reading novels. But yeah. the one that's not a novel that actually i really enjoyed and I actually mentioned in the cookbook is um, it's called The Dirt Cure, and it's by Maya Shatrick-Klein, and she's a pediatric neurologist. And basically it's about how children's health and well-being is affected by the food they eat and the environment. And it's just such a well-researched book. It, I feel like anybody who has a child who – I mean, it's good for anybody, any parent, but even one that has um, any sort of food intolerances or allergies or health issues, I feel like having reading this book could really change things for yeah. them. And I would really, really recommend it. It's excellent.
1: Just on a side question on that. So in terms of the organics, is it, do you feel it's really affordable for all kinds of families or is it just the kinds of choices that you make?
0: I think it's probably very difficult for some families to eat all organic food. I mean, I completely I completely understand that, but if they could make a few choices with with a few sort of key ingredients that are, you know, on the dirty dozen list, if they could just even buy a few of those that would help. There's also a whole section of my cookbook on how to budget um any any more organic food. So there's lots of different strategies that you can employ to try to make your your diet cleaner. But that said, if organic's not possible, just eating whole Real food is, is the number one thing instead of instead of processed, you know, ready-made food, yeah. and that will go a really long way.
1: Do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Or <laughs> I
0: don't. I don't know if I. I mean, there's lots of them that I like. I mean, one that stands out to me is basically if you fell over yesterday, stand up today. That's by H.G. Wells, and I think, again, that's something I've had to learn and I keep on working on over my life. I'm a bit of uh, I'm not the most optimistic person in the world and things do get me down quite easily. And sort of learning that, you know, that quote really says to me that, you know, if you fall, that is, that's not the end. It's not the end of the world. And it doesn't really set the course for the next day or the next part of your life. You really just need to stand back up again. And I've really learned over time getting older that those bad moments are really just moments in time. And if you just sort of don't fall into the trap of thinking it's the end of the world and you pick yourself up and you keep going. They they do pass. Yeah.
1: It reminds me of the Anne of Green Gables quote, tomorrow's a brand new day, fresh with no yeah. mistakes in it. Reminds lo- me of Yeah, Yes,
0: yeah. I, lo- I love Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so what is the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've
0: been given? Well, part of it is what I just what I just said, I would okay. say for sure. But something to do with entrepreneurship. I, I always... Since I've been involved in entrepreneurship, I keep hearing people say things like, you know, that you're a born entrepreneur or that, yeah, you, you know, you come out of the womb as an entrepreneur. And I just, I just absolutely disagree with it. I did not have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. Neither did my husband. And we got into it late in life and have really taken to it and so I just want people to realize that you know if they've always been in like you know a classic sort of job and they they think they're just not the entrepreneurial type because that's what we've been told that you either are entrepreneurial or you're not that is just not true completely disagree with it and I think anybody can be entrepreneurial if they want to be and it's something that you can learn how to do and you will just get better and better at it as you do it and before you know it you are an entrepreneur and then at that point you probably can never go back to having a regular job but you know, don't think for a second that you can't, you can't do it if you want to.
1: And I think part of, so part of that being an entrepreneur, as I see it, not being one myself, but it's building up that resilience and the courage. Is that, because I think a lot of people see it as risky and scary, but do you, like, was courage something that you guys just built and flexed like a muscle over time?
0: I mean, I guess I've always been... You know, when I was teaching, I would always take on a new role. I never had the same grade twice. I would take on new sort of leader position, leadership positions. So I was always a risk taker, I guess. So maybe that was always there. But financial risk is a whole different, like, ballgame. It is. It is a whole different ballgame. I mean, some of it for us came out of necessity. You know, we were, John was never going to be able to make the money that he'd made in London and in banking. And I was going to have to go on the teacher on call list. And, we we needed to figure something out so it was kind of like we needed to create our own job and then the other thing is we'd moved up to Whistler and actually John had tried his hand at real estate for a bit and he was just a terrible realtor he would say that as well it wasn't his thing at all and at that point we'd moved here and we were like what do we do you know you can work for the mountain or you can you can really start your own thing up and so it was kind of out of necessity and so it felt sort of more risky in some ways not to do it like we felt like we just had to jump and do it otherwise we were going to end up in a situation where you know we weren't making the money that that we needed to to su- to support our family or we were going to have to move at whistler yeah favorite
1: thing to do in whistler favorite place to eat for people that are traveling there
0: oh okay my favorite place to eat is alta vista bistro i love it because their food philosophy is very similar to mine it's all local organic food it's super fresh it's just it's great and the and their menu changes all the time it's just excellent so we often go there like on a you know whenever we date night on <laughs> a date night which is <laughs> not very often but if we do we will go and sit up at the bar there and usually you can get in at the bar and sit and have a beautiful dinner it's really nice nice and the other thing about whistler i would say it's not really a thing to do but just remembering that whistler is amazing in the summer as well as the winter the summers up here are fantastic and you know there are there's lakes and there's there's hiking and biking and you know, just everything. It's it's actually a year-round resort, so I would just recommend that people don't just think of it as somewhere to come to ski. Yeah,
1: it's the same. So we're right by the Rocky Mountains, and there's the Sunshine uh, Mountain, and a lot of people just think of it for skiing, and they've been doing this big campaign lately that there's these beautiful meadows at the top in the mm-hmm. summertime that people can go hiking. So I think it's bringing a whole new, uh, whole new set of visitors in uh, the summer. So same with Whistler. That's great. Yeah. So, finally, Leah, what does it mean to you to live your best life?
0: To me, it means finding something to do that you feel passionate about. It doesn't have to be the most amazing, you know, ambitious thing in the world, but it just means to be you need to be doing something that you feel passionate about. But then the biggest thing is to just try to enjoy each moment of it. You know life is life is short. We will have a lot of ups and downs. And I think, Just trying to live in that moment, appreciate, you know, your friends, your family, your health, those little things that sometimes we forget about really are the most important things.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Leah, for being on the podcast.
0: No, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you.
1: My big takeaway from the interview with Leah is that if you want to do something different, something that you've never done before, try it. You can do it. You can achieve it. She was a teacher and now has one of the biggest Canadian brands in food, in baby food. You know, she says that she wasn't a born entrepreneur. This is something that kind of came out of necessity and an interest and a passion that they had and that, you know, her and her husband worked hard for this, but that they evolved as individuals and they grew certain skill sets and the skill sets that they didn't have, they made sure to find the right people and create the right team around them. So here's the thing whatever you're trying to do, you can build that team around you. If you're wanting to be the best mom that you can be, why not make sure that you have the right support system around you? That could be your spouse, that could be babysitters, that could be the allo parents in your life, and that's a term that we talk about in an upcoming interview with Bridget Schulte, who talks about her book Overwhelmed: Work, Love, and Play When Nobody Has the Time. That'll be coming in October. But basically, the concept of allo parents is these other individuals in your life that can fill a parenting role and a support system for your kids and your family. So again, that that's just an example of how to do it in mothering, but you could also do this with your business the same way that Leanne and her husband did. Now, if you're worried about entrepreneurship, if you have this great idea and you're just scared about how to get it going and you're just nervous, there are so many resources out there to support you. Now, I would suggest going back to our actual, actually our very first podcast interview that I did with Stephanie Pollack. Now, Stephanie is a business and leadership coach. Now, she can talk to you all about entrepreneurship. She can talk to you about the kind of skills that she's coached individuals in to create the most fantastic business out there. Now she's got the Beyond Pro podcast, but if you wanna find the episode that we did, you just go to girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 22, because it was episode 22. And I think you'll get a lot of inspiration from that. I just wanna thank Leah so much for being on the podcast. It was such a big deal for me. I have benefited so much from her book and from her food. I mean, it literally is in my diaper bag and in my cupboard. And when I couldn't get my kid to eat, Love Child was the food that they ate. So, highly recommend their brand. Highly recommend the book, It All Begins with Food. And you can find all the links to that at the show notes for today, which is at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 35 for episode 35. Now, I hope you will join me at our next episode, which is two weeks from today, and we'll be with Anita Hofer. Now, Anita and I know each other from our personal lives. We worked together. I was at an organization that funded the organization that she was at, so we kind of worked together in that sense. Now, what Anita and I talk about is all sorts of things, from how she trekked the Camino de Santiago, that was her sort of big 40th birthday adventure, to working in the nonprofit sector, having a job in communications and how she grew that, how she got back to work after being a stay-at-home parent. We talk about her vision for the nonprofit sector, and I just had a blast with Anita. She's such a thoughtful human being and... I can tell you, if you are a big reader, she has tons of fantastic books to recommend. I even went and read some of them right away myself, so I highly recommend you tune in for that one. So the best way to do that is to subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, just search for Girl Tries Life, hit subscribe, and you will not miss a single episode. It'll come automatically into your feed. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would so greatly appreciate it if right now you would go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Now, if you're subscribed, you have to actually go out into the search function to find it. Search Girl Tries Life. You'll see three little squares there. Click on the one that says reviews and you can leave it right there. It'll take less than a minute, but it will make such a big difference and I will so appreciate it. And if you want to hear the smile that will be on my face, this is what a happy Victoria sounds like. Please leave a review. It would show me that this podcast is adding value to your life. And that is my goal, right guys? I do not just do this for myself. I do this to make sure that you are learning these lessons that these incredible women have to offer. And anyways, I would greatly appreciate a review. I hope you guys tune in next time. And until then, let's take some advice from Leah. If you have an idea, a big dream, start to think about who those people are, what those skills are that you need, that you can develop yourself, and the people that you can bring around you to fulfill them. So make that list today. And if you wanna share it on social media, take a picture, tag me at Girl Tries Life or use the hashtag Girl Tries Life. I would love to see what you're up to. Until next time, take care.